I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Mark, to Mark chapter 15, as God speaks to us today from His Holy Word. I want to thank Pastor Kidder as well as the elders for inviting me to be in your midst today and to have the privilege to be able to deliver God's Word to you. You might wonder who is this man who stands before you. I am a man who was called by the Lord Jesus Christ 29 years ago to put my faith and trust in him alone for my salvation. I praise God that at the age of 20, he called me out of light or called me out of darkness unto his marvelous light and that I have come to know full forgiveness of my sins, free justification, adoption by my heavenly father and the assurance of his grace and perseverance of me all the way to the end. It's therefore a delight to get to know some of you today and to be able to be used by God to proclaim the gospel to you. I currently am living in the Columbus, Ohio area and worship at Grace Presbyterian Church. I fill the pulpit there one to two times a month and have had the privilege to pastor over the last 18 years as well, both in New York and in Ohio. But that's enough about me. We need to put our focus and our attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ today. And we'll be reading from the Gospel according to Mark, beginning in chapter 15 and verse 6, and reading all the way to verse 39. As then we prepare to hear God's word read and preached, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your holy word. It is you, O Holy Spirit. You have inspired this word and you have preserved it for us that this living word might indeed apprehend us, that we might be captured by your love and by your grace. And so we pray that as we give our attention to both the reading and preaching of your word, that you would cause it to bear fruit in our lives, even to the glory of Jesus Christ, that he would be exalted and enthroned on our hearts and that we would know the equipping power of your love and grace to go forth from here and to speak of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing in this world. We pray that you would build us up in our most holy faith and that you would be honored, O Father, even as we bow the knee before you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word of God, Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 6. Now at the feast... He, Pilate, was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, 
And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it upon his head and began to salute him, Hail, O King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others. Himself, he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. This is God's word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a question confronts you and me this morning. And the question is very simple, it's very straightforward. Even the youngest children here this morning can understand this question. The question is, who crucified Jesus? Who crucified Jesus? That is, who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth? It is true, and there is no question, that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was gruesome and was horrific. 
We need only think of the flogging of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to his crucifixion, being whipped with a whip which was braided with bits of glass and sharp stone and fragments of metal in it, whipped beyond recognition, it would seem, as we read Isaiah chapter 52 and compare it with John chapter 19. The flogging was cruel. There is no question about that. The crown of thorns which was pressed into the tender skin and malicious mockery. The stark nakedness of Jesus being stripped bare naked and being exposed in all shame to the crowds which passed by at that busy intersection outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. All was cruel. The spikes nailed through the feet of the one who walked throughout Israel to do what? To do good. The spikes which were nailed through the hands of one who went throughout all of Israel using those hands to bind up wounds, to heal, to comfort, and to bring grace. All cruel. The physical anguish which Jesus endured on the cross, six anger, six hours hanging upon the awful tree, and the cry of dereliction which we just heard, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no question that the crucifixion of Jesus was gruesome and was horrific. But there is the question, who is responsible? Who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah? Just who crucified Jesus? This is a question which must be answered. And how you answer this question is infinitely important. Infinitely important. So what are you saying? Who is responsible? Who crucified Jesus? Well, your answer might begin in this way. Surely, Judas Iscariot is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Surely, Judas, Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, who in the darkness of the night brought a troop of soldiers from the temple guard and crossed the brook of Kidron and went to the Mount of Olives to seek out Jesus and, listen, to betray him with a kiss. Surely Judas is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. And why did Judas do it? Judas crucified Jesus for greed, for money. And so your answer is correct insofar as it goes. Who crucified Jesus? Judas Iscariot. He is responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who had only shown him kindness. Judas betrays him with a kiss. But this is not all in terms of the answer to the question which is before us today. Who crucified Christ? Yes, Judas Iscariot crucified Jesus for greed. But surely, surely there are others who are responsible, are there not? We can think of the Jewish leaders. They crucified Christ. 
They're responsible. They saw Jesus as a threat, a threat to their power, a threat to their position, a threat to their prestige. Even Pilate could see through their chicanery, couldn't he? He knew that they had delivered Jesus up to him for what? We just read it. For envy. For envy. The Jewish leaders who plotted and prosecuted, who traded and trumped up charges and trickery, they spit upon him and with cunning craftiness, they condemn Jesus to die. Yes, the Jewish leaders are responsible for envy. They crucified the Messiah, their Messiah. Judas for greed, the Jewish leaders for envy. They're responsible. Bringing him to Pilate, fabricating falsehood, satisfied with nothing less than what? Jesus' crucifixion. Nothing else will do. Pilate even has Jesus flogged beyond recognition, brings him back out to the crowds. We don't read of it in Mark's account, but we read of it in John's account in John chapter 19. Pilate, thinking that he has satisfied the bloodthirst of the crowd, brings Jesus out, scourged beyond recognition, and says, as a bookend to the opening chapter of John, he says, Behold, not the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He says, behold the man. But the Jewish leaders were not satisfied. Not satisfied at all. And so we've begun to answer the question. Who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? Judas, for greed. The Jewish leaders, for envy. Surely there's more. You answer the Jewish people of that first century are also responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. Oh, that is not politically correct, to be sure, to say such things. But you cannot read the gospel accounts and, as it were, whitewash them and allow the Jewish people off the hook. The Jewish people of the first century The crowds on that Black Friday so long ago, those who just five days earlier had cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What do they cry out now? To be sure, they're influenced by their leaders, but they are responsible when they cry out with the deafening roar, not once, but twice. Crucify him. In Matthew's account, they even say, let his blood be upon us and our children. They took responsibility for the murder of Jesus of Nazareth. The crowds. And they're given every opportunity to have him released. In fact, it is the policy of the Roman procurator, Pontius Pilate, to release to them one prisoner at this high feast of Passover. Each year he's done it and the crowds expect it. And so Pilate asks them, do you want me to release unto you the king of the Jews? And what do they say? No. Release unto us Barabbas. 
Barabbas, a murderer. Now, to brush up on your Aramaic, what does the word Barabbas mean? It means son of the father. Bar Abbas. How ironic. They request Bar Abbas, the son of the father, to be released to them so that the son of God might be slain. What irony. Surely the Jewish people, with a deafening roar, crucify him, even when Pilate presses them. Why? What evil has he done? Crucify him. They will have it no other way. Why did they crucify Jesus? Oh, Judas, for greed. The Jewish leaders, for envy. The Jewish people, for fickleness. Hot today, cold tomorrow. Perhaps it's starting to sound a bit close to home. But again, is this the final answer that we get as we carefully read the scriptures, as we listen to God's testimony, which he has given to us and recorded for us and preserved for us in the Holy Bible? No, this is not the end of the answer to the question, who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? Judas, for greed. The Jewish leaders, for envy. The Jewish people, for fickleness. What about Pontius Pilate? Again, we read in the Gospel according to Matthew that he washed his hands with water and said, Surely I am innocent from this man's blood. But was he innocent? Pontius Pilate was not innocent. No, for fear of the crowds and for expediency, Pilate has him crucified. He has Jesus, whom he knows in his conscience, in his heart, and in his mind, whom he knows is innocent. Here is a judge who is to uphold righteous judgment. He throws righteousness to the wind, and he has an innocent man slaughtered. He has him condemned to the cruel torture of the cross. Why? Well, I've already said it. But he did so out of fear. For a tumult was arising. He did so out of expediency to gratify the crowd. And so if Judas for greed, if the Jewish leaders out of envy, if the Jewish people out of fickleness, Pilate out of fear. out of fear and expediency, has Jesus crucified. But I don't think that we have fully exhausted the answer to the question yet. No. No, even in our account, which we read here in the Gospel according to Mark, there is yet another who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. Surely the Roman soldiers are responsible. Are they not? You say, well, they were just following out orders. 
They didn't know. They didn't know. The centurion who is in charge of the crucifixion in verse 39 says he knows. But even if the other, the others in the cohort, which both scourged, whipped, tortured, and nailed the spikes into the hands and feet of Jesus and pierced the spear into his side, were ignorant, I invite you to read the book of Leviticus and to find out if sins of ignorance are given a free pass. They're not. Blood sacrifice is required for sins of ignorance. Sins of ignorance. The blasphemy oozing from their lips, the inhuman scourging, the mockery, the hammer blows driving the spikes into the hands and feet of Christ. Sins of ignorance? Perhaps so. But sins of ignorance which must be given an account for before the judge of all the earth. The Roman soldiers are responsible. For ignorance, they crucified the Lord of glory. And here here we have it. A question before you and me this morning. Who crucified Jesus? Who is responsible for the death of Jesus, the Messiah? Judas? Judas for greed? The Jewish leaders for envy? The Jewish people out of fickleness? Pontius Pilate out of fear and expediency? The Roman soldiers out of ignorance. And so, we've come to the end, have we not? And I hope you say, no, we have not. Because we've not come to the end. No, we have not exhausted the question nor the answer. Who crucified Jesus. What about you? Are you responsible? You say, me, I wasn't even there. What about you? Are you responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? wasn't even there. Let me say to you very plainly and very clearly, unless you can see yourself as having been there, Jesus' crucifixion will profit you nothing. And so what about you? Are you responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? What about your greed? Have you tried to serve two masters, both God and riches? What about your envy? Where you love your position, your good name, your prestige more than you love the honor and name of Jesus? What about your fickleness? One day being on fire for the Lord, and the next denying him three times with Peter. What about your fear? Your fear of 
owning Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master, as the eternal Son of God, become true man, the God-man, who indeed has purchased you and that you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. What about your fear of owning him? Before men, because you're afraid what they might think about you. They might think that you're too extreme. Others might think that you are too radical. What about your ignorance? How often we can listen to sermons and be satisfied to keep Christ at arm's length. And, and think that it's really not for me to grow in the knowledge of God. It, that, that's the pastor's job or, or the elder's job. But I, I'm all right. I'm satisfied with my level of small knowledge concerning the Lord. In Judas, in the Jewish leaders, in the Jewish people, in Pontius Pilate, in the Roman soldiers. Do you see you? We've heard their lips speak. Guilty lips, right? What about my guilty lips? Broken promises, lame excuses, biting words, tattling gossips, sneering sarcasm. It sounds all too familiar. Crucify him. We've seen, we've seen in Mark chapter 15, guilty hearts. What about my envy? Envious scheming, holding bitter grudges, refusing to forgive others, valuing secret lusts, exercising manipulative lies, and pursuing at all costs vain ambition. Guilty hearts. We've seen put on display guilty hands. Who really hammered the spikes into the hands and feet of Jesus? Who did? Until you can say, I crucified Jesus. Christ's death on Calvary's cross will do nothing but condemn you further to hell. Until you can say, I crucified Christ. Now as we come to grips with this truth, this truth which the Bible clearly sets before us, we might be tempted to despair. Woe is me, I am undone. Is there any hope for me? the Christ killer. And if we stopped right here, we might as well just close our Bibles, walk out the door and lock the doors. 
But thankfully, this is not the end of the answer either. To who crucified Jesus? This is not the end of the story. Oh, to be sure, it is convicting and convulsing to our hearts and consciences when we consider that it is our voices, our hearts, and our hands which are on display in Mark chapter 15. But it's not the end of the story. Who crucified Jesus? There's one more answer, and can we really say it? It almost sounds blasphemous to say. But what does Romans 8 say? Did you listen to the reading from Romans chapter 8 this morning? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? All forgiveness. All assurance, all confidence of the gift of everlasting life to those who deserve everlasting death. Did you hear what God says? That He delivered Him up for us all. An interesting tidbit the word which is translated delivered is the same word which is used to describe, and we have to be careful here, what Judas did. When the English Bible says, and Judas betrayed him. Now the father did not betray the son, but delivered him over For his appointed purpose, that the son who had taken a true human nature to himself might indeed be the sin bearer of us all. It is the father who delivered up the son and it is Christ who by the power of the everlasting spirit offers himself up for us. What did Jesus say? No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Who crucified Jesus? The Father, you see, spares not his Son so that he might spare you. Here's the gospel. Here's the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. He delivered him up for us all. And so while Judas crucified Jesus for greed, while the Jewish leaders crucified Jesus for envy, 
While the Jewish people crucified Jesus for fickleness. While Pontius Pilate crucified Jesus for fear and expediency. And while the Roman soldiers crucified Jesus out of ignorance. The Father, can I say it, crucified Jesus for love. Love for you. And love for his son. That his son, having satisfied the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty on Calvary's cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, might indeed extinguish the just wrath of God and be raised victorious and seated at the right hand of the Father with a name above every name. That every knee should bow before him and every tongue confess to the glory and honor of the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Father for love delivers up his Son. Love for his chosen people. Love for his holy justice. Love which understands there is no other way to save hell-bound, guilty sinners. Love wherein justice and mercy come together and kiss. Love, what did we sing? Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that struck him was the stroke that justice gave. And the God-man willingly takes the cup and drains it to the dregs for us. For the likes of you and for the likes of me. No wonder the centurion who stood opposite Jesus when he saw that Jesus cried out like this. How did Jesus die? How did he die? How do people who are crucified die? How do they die? They die of asphyxiation. They die gasping for breath. They die with a gurgle in their throats. They die weak. But the centurion who had been on the battlefield, who had seen victory, And had heard the victory cry. The reason he's so startled in Mark's gospel in verse 39. The reason why he turns on his heels in astonishment. Is because though he has overseen many a crucifixion. He's never seen one die like this. With the cry. Not of dereliction. But with the cry of victory. It is finished. this is good news to lost and broken and guilty sinners. So what shall we say to these things? To be sure, there's much more in Mark's gospel account which we could look at today. But we've we've focused in on an important question. Who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus?
What can you take away today? Three things, quickly. Number one, be convicted. Be convicted of your own guilt in crucifying the Lord of glory. Of your own greed, your own envy, your own fickleness, your own fear, of your own ignorance. Be convicted and be able to say, not merely we crucified the Christ, but be convicted to say, I crucified Jesus. Even if nobody else did, I did. For it is here that the dawning of hope and light arises. Be convicted. Secondly, be confounded. You say, well, what's the difference between being convicted and being confounded? Be confounded at God's grace. That it is God who delivered up the Christ for me in my place. That it is the Son who laid down his life for me in my place. That it is the Holy Spirit who enabled the very human nature united to the divine nature of the Son of God to sustain the fierceness of the infinite wrath of God. So that the triune God, the God of infinite love, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, determined to have the eternal Son of God butchered, battered, beaten, and hanged on Calvary's cruel cross for me. Be confounded. What love is this? Who has seen such love? There is no demonstration of love like this anywhere in this world except right here at Calvary's cross. Be confounded. And lastly, lastly, be compelled. Be compelled, be forced to bow the knee and to come to the Lord Jesus on his terms. Maybe there's one or two or a handful here who have never bowed the knee, who have never come, who have never been drawn irresistibly by the love of the Savior in showing you your guilt and indeed of showing you his grace. And today's the day. Be compelled to come. Don't be satisfied with mere outward religion, with a mere outward profession. Come. Come to Him. Be convicted. Be confounded. Be compelled to come to Him for full forgiveness, for full everlasting life, for never-ending joy. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not together with him freely give us all things? Be compelled to come. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you heard the most dreadful words from Amos, I'm sorry, from Nahum chapter 2 verse 13 and Nahum chapter 3 verse 5. 
Thus says the Lord, I am against you. Ah, but here, what if God is for you? What if he's for you? And is not the word which is proclaimed to you today, the very message which is declaring to you, I am for you. Come unto me. And maybe there are many others here who have already come, who have already tasted the sweetness of his grace. Come again. Come again. Come again with renewed wonder and worship, with compelling conviction and confoundment. And come. Worship your Savior. Worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who indeed is designed to demonstrate His love and His justice for you. Who crucified Jesus? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, stun us, we pray, with your amazing love and your infinite grace. Help us to stand amazed afresh and anew today that your love which knows no bounds, would design so great a salvation for us. And so we ask that you would irresistibly draw us to yourself by the power of your Holy Spirit, working through your word, that we might know your love shed abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit today. Change us. And give us indeed this glorious message to take with us from here today to tell others that there is a Savior whom we are all guilty of crucifying. There is a Savior who has been delivered up by you for us. Forgive us of our many sins, O God. Take away our love of money and greed. Root out envy and bitterness from our hearts. Make us to be a single-hearted people. And, O God, take away our fears and replace them with the fear of the Lord. That we might be a people who walk not in ignorance, but in knowledge, the full knowledge of your grace and mercy in your Son, applied to us by your Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.